Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 45 of Dean Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Ben Bumhofer. How you doing, Ben? Hey, Ryan, I'm doing great. How are you doing on this fine Wednesday evening? I'm doing good. You know, I hurt my back a little bit, so that's been that's been really annoying the past few days, but I'm on the, on the upswing, so that's good, and I'm sitting not having to move much, so that that helps too. That's uh, good. Rolling some hit dice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rolling some hit dice. I'm taking, I'm taking my short rests as needed. Good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but this is a special episode because not only do we have the two of us, we are also joined tonight by the fantastic Enrique, also known as Newbie DM. How are you doing tonight? Hi guys. Hi Ryan. Hi Ben. Thank you for inviting me on in your show. Glad to be here. Uh, having a a good evening so far. Even better now because I'm on a podcast. So awesome. Well, we're really glad that you can join us tonight. I really appreciate it. And we always love having uh, different voices on, different people to talk to. And by golly, we talk D&D. And what better topic is there sometimes? Not, I don't think there is one. That's Except right. maybe Star Wars, but. Yeah, we'll save, that for a different, we'll save that for a different podcast, right? <laughs> it's okay. We'll we were see. we were talking some Star Wars pre-podcast, so it yeah. all it all balances out. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so before we dive into our topics tonight, uh, Enrique, why don't you tell everyone just a little bit about yourself um, and your kind of your history of D and D and your content creation? Yeah. So I've been wow. Okay. So I've been playing D and D for for you know I don't know. 30 years or so I started back in back in back in school back in high school I started playing first edition D&D uh, moved on to second edition I skipped over third because I you know I was kind of busy with uh you know getting my life and my career and my my family in order and then I came back into the game in fourth edition and it's sort of like you know it was one of those things where wow you know this this game is so easy for me to dm um, I, I, I never DM'd first or second edition. I, I was always a player, but fourth edition made it really easy to, to DM. Um, it, it was a little bit of a different feel for what the, you know, the older game was, obviously. Oh, we all know that, you know, I'm not going to get into that whole thing, but, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it was still D&D and it was still an excuse to get people around the table and play. And, you know, it, it, it sort of fell on my lap to DM because nobody wanted to do it. So. I got back into D&D that way, and, and then I started blogging about it, and then I started podcasting about it, and, and, and then suddenly, you know, I've been at it again since 4E came out now for another decade or so. So, you know, content creation, I don't do a lot of, I don't do a lot of content creation for D&D specifically. I do a, a sort of a lot of stuff around the game, kind of like, you know, podcasts and mm-hmm. Twitter feed and commentary and reviews and that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, just glad to be part of the community and, 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 and having fun with a game I, I really enjoy. It's been a big part of my life for a long time. So. Oh, definitely. And especially since you've gone through, you know, so many different editions, you have a lot of different, you know, perspectives and changes and, and shifts and stuff from what you've seen. So like having that base knowledge and going into something like fifth edition has got to be just very enriching and just, you know, an added bonus on top of that. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of people out there who could probably speak a lot more to older editions than me. You know, they have a lot more um, experience playing like third edition and a lot of first, you know, my, my experience with first edition, for example, was was relatively short before we moved on to second edition. I kind of cut my teeth on second edition. I never played any of the 
earlier box sets, the the Beckney stuff, or the or the you know the the famous you know basic sets or the expert sets, all those different things. I I sort of skipped over all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I you know I look at the game and I look at the and I look at the evolution of the game, um, and I and I do see it through a you know through a lens that maybe people who just played fifth or or even fourth and fifth maybe don't have the same you know perspective. Mm -hmm. So I think it you know I I think I it brings a little bit to the discussion when you have that, that sort of experience uh, with the game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, basically I got into it. I think I might've played like one session of third or, or maybe it was 3.5. So, you know, don't remember any of that at all. <laughs> and then um, did some fourth edition. And then of course now fifth edition. So like, just the the night and day differences between fourth and fifth still boggles my mind. It was such a different departure from everything that was going on before. I, I've always said that a fourth edition, and I don't want to I don't want to derail this and turn this into a fourth edition discussion. But I always said <laughs> if, if fourth edition was marketed as a different game that wasn't D and D, it would have done you know gangbusters, man. If, oh, if you if they would have marketed this as D and D tactics or something like that, it would have done. A fantastic business but you know the name dnd has a lot of expectations to it and i don't know if fourth edition met those expectations oh yeah so. i completely agree with you on that in fact i was able to get some people in because it was like so different they're used to playing like world of warcraft so it was you know kind of set up very similar to like a video game so jumping into fifth edition and pulling some of those players into this has like opened up their whole eyes and experiences to something just so different and new that everybody's very happy with fifth yeah, I think I think fifth has done a really good job of accessibility, um, more so than and and this is this is just this is just stories because I'm I'm actually a fifth edition only D and D player. Um, I'm one of those people who, uh, <laughs> when I was growing up, D and D was bad. D and D D and D was evil, you know, and so I'm. I'm really sad that I, I missed a lot of the, the early stuff, um, but I'm happy that I can kind of reclaim that now uh, and just play it a lot. And I've been playing for uh, quite a while now, um, just shortly after, after the release of fifth edition. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited to kind of draw on a little bit of, of that experience, hopefully um, tonight as we talk through some of our, our topics. Um, but first, our first topic um, that I wanted to to dive into a little bit, because um, you you just uh, talked a little bit about you do reviews for stuff, um, and you do a lot of the the stuff around, and you DM quite a bit, um, and you've been a DM for a while. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about running modules. Um, modules are basically the adventures, like the pre-done adventures that uh, Wizards of the Coast or uh, a third party or some, someone on the DMs Guild will put together that give you kind of a, an entire overview of how to run a campaign. They'll have a setting, they'll have characters already done, usually they'll have uh, encounters set up, they'll have the, the monsters, they'll have the loot, uh, they'll have just all all the periphery stuff, and as a DM, you get all that, and then you choose how to run it. Um, personally, I've do dove more inside the the homebrew realm uh, rather than running modules. Although Ben and myself are actually 
running as players in a Rhyme of the Frostmaiden campaign right now. Uh, but I wanted to kind of uh, chat with you a little bit about modules and for especially for people just starting DMing, modules can give a great entry point into uh, being just just getting started, not having to do too much prep. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's done for you. So I wanted to just kind of pick your brain a little bit on your experience running modules, how that kind of differs from, from homebrew, and then maybe for new DMs, especially some tech tips and tricks uh, for, for prep, for improv, and for just running modules in general. So I'm, I'm currently running a, a 5e campaign. Um, I've, I've been lucky enough during the pandemic that we've been able to play consistently for uh, weekly since May of last year. Wow, so very gonna, cool, very cool. Yes, yeah, so, cool. so we're gonna come up on a year now, maybe I think next week or the week after, um, that we've been playing consistently, consistently weekly um, over Roll20. Uh, you know, it's not face-to-face -face, obviously, but but uh, one positive aspect of the pandemic has been everybody's home bored, so we've been able to, to, <laughs> to play a lot more D&D. &D, yeah, right? yeah. So, yeah, it's so, helped a lot. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this campaign that I'm running um, is a combination of homebrew and using modules um, where I have sort of a, I play in the Forgotten Realms um, because that's what I know. You know, I've, I've, I've always played in the Forgotten Realms really um, since I started playing D&D probably. Um, and, and my campaign is a sequel to uh, the Forgotten Realms comic books from back from when I was in high school, they had a comic book. DC Comics used to put out these these Forgotten Realms comics, and it was about a ship. It was about the crew of a. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it was, a, it was about the crew of a sailing ship, and the ship flew. Uh, and these guys were relic hunters, and they used to go uh, uh, hunting artifacts around the Forgotten Realms. So, my my campaign is a sequel to that, taking place in the current era of the realms, and they're the new crew of this ship. Uh, it's the same ship, but now that's crewed by, by, by my party. So what I do with this game is I take existing modules and I reskin them to match what I need for my game. So I'll give you an example. Um, for the first session, um, and, and the author is going to kill me because I don't remember the author or the name of the module. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there was a module on the... On the, on the DMs Guild about a, a haunted ship that shows up in a harbor. And, and the players have to go and deal with this haunted ship. So I took that module and I said, okay, I'm going to turn this ship into the Realms Master, which is the name of the ship in the comic book. And I'm going to have it you know, show up in this harbor in, in Westgate where the party is. And they're going to get hired to go investigate this derelict haunted ship. And so I took the core of the module and I sort of, change some bits and pieces around to match what I needed to. Um, but in essence, I used the module basically almost as is. And I adjusted my story to what the module was giving me um, rather than the other way around, because then it would take a lot more work on my end. to, mm -hmm. to it. And one of the things I don't want to do is work more. I work enough, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I feel that. Yeah. So, so I think one, one of the tricks and one of the, one of the biggest tricks I learned, and I learned this back in the 4E days when I was DMing 4E, is the magic of reskinning and taking a monster, taking a situation, and just applying a new layer of skin over it and using it as is. Um, 
for whatever your needs are. So I, I, I've used DMs Guild Adventures. I've used adventures from the old dungeon magazines. I, I've taken those adventures and I and I've basically taken the monsters and used the fifth edition version of the monsters, um, keeping the plot intact or whatever, and just making things fit my game. Um, so you know, I'll say, okay, so here's an adventure about A, B, and C. How do I make A, B, and C work for the story we're telling? And yeah. I'll find a way to make it work instead of changing the whole thing around. Um, you know, I kind of work the other way. I kind of make it fit my game instead of making my game fit. Yeah. Well, that's so. actually a, a really good handy trick because, you know, as DMs, any sort of prep, any sort of, you know, like creation does take a lot of time. So this helps a bunch. And I love the idea of making the story completely work for you. I think that's like, instead of, you know, doing just beat by beat a campaign, it gives you like more, or I would assume it gives you more flexibility to kind of be a little bit more open with it and, you know, add more content if you need, take away some content to really fit it into your own adventure. I, one of the things you learn, so I do a little bit of hobby writing, you know, on the side, I do hobby screenwriting. And one of the things you learn uh, when you're writing scripts is kill your darlings. Um, for the sake of you know, for the sake of, of space and 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 page count, right? Mm -hmm. And the same thing applies to a campaign, right? You, you might fall in love with a concept and you might fall in love with something for your campaign, but at the end of the day, you're not writing a book, and at the end of the day, you're not telling your story. You're telling a story that you know for the entire group to enjoy and for the entire group to experience. And I may be really enamored with an idea, but if it doesn't work, or if it's going to derail things, or if it's going to not make this particular module work, mm -hmm. then you know what? I'm going to kill it because at the end of the day, one, the players are never going to know that it was there to begin with because they'll never introduce it. True. And two, you know, it, it makes my life easier. At the end of the day, as long as everybody's having fun, I'm having fun. I don't need to have something in the game. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, uh, throw the hammer down and say this has to go because I want it to. No, if it, it's got to work and if it doesn't work, get rid of it. Like you said, if, if you really want something that bad, you just write a book, right? You write a novel. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Railroading DMs don't make sense. Write a book. Yeah. So, um, so what does prep look like for you? Um, so you, let's say you've got, you've got a, a session coming up or your, your party has just finished, finished an arc or finished a, a specific set of content and you, are looking through the DMs Guild or you're looking through published modules and you're like, this would be really cool to, to pull in and reskin and fit my world. What do you usually do to, to prep for that and get your sessions ready? So, so, so I'll give you an example of, of what I just did, right? So my party, and I don't want to, you know, I don't, again, tell me when I'm getting bored, boring. Oh, you so, <laughs> so we, so, okay. So we, I made the mistake and I'm going to say it was a mistake. I made the mistake of, of using Rhyme of the Frost Maiden as part of my campaign. Um, and I don't know if you've read, I don't know if your players or DMs, but I don't know if you've read the ending of Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Uh, we we I, have not. Okay, I don't want to spoil it. So let, let, mostly let's, mostly because we're we're playing in one right now. Okay, so, so, we, so we purposely not. <laughs> let's not worry. Okay, let's not worry about that. My my players <laughs> ran into a situation. My, my players ran into a situation where their ship um, was taken from them. Uh, while they were exploring Icewind Dale, right? Uh, so it turns out that their ship is in um, Skullport under uh, Undermountain, um, underwater deep in the Forgotten Realms, right? 
So I have a situation where I have 11th level players uh, who need to get their ship back. Um, how do they do it? So I had to think, okay, what, are, what am I going to do here? So I started looking through the DMs Guild. I found an adventure written by M.T. Black. Um, he's one of these prolific authors on the DMs Guild um, called the, um, the Lich Queen's Begotten. And it takes the players to the astral plane to deal with a, uh, to deal, it, it puts them in the middle of the conflict between the Gitzerai and the Githyanki. That's and cool. I said, I said, okay, this is kind of cool. This is one of those big scope D&D things, the, the Gitzerai Githyanki war that maybe not all players get to experience. And I figured out a way to make it fit. I said, okay, so it has a certain plot. It's a very simple adventure. It's A to B to C to D. It's not very complicated. And at the end, I can offer the uh, the patron who hires them for this adventure to help them get their ship back. And it was as simple as that. It was, hey, we'll help you with your ship. You need to help me with this adventure. And off to the astral plane they went to do Empty Black's adventure. And when they come back from it, now they have someone to help them. And they've made a friend in the Gitsurai, um that I could use and I could see that for later, you know, Later on in the campaign, we could revisit these NPCs that they met along the way, you know, as friends. So they succeeded in their mission. They, they helped the Gitsurai do something against the Githyanki. And now this Gitsurai promised, you know, obviously this isn't part of the adventure now, but the Gitsurai promised to help them with their ship. So now I got a, now I have a, an NPC there who's going to help them get their ship back and off they go back on their, on their campaign. So, so the adventure served as a little interlude to, to transition them into the 11th level, which puts them at a different, at a different category of level, it's a different tier of play. Mm -hmm. And it immediately let me introduce the planes to the campaign. We hadn't done any plane hopping. And they went off to the astral plane. They got to experience that. They got to experience Githyanki. They got to experience the Githyanki city. And, you know, it was two nights of, of gaming. It's a short module. But in those two nights, we got a lot done because I was able to, to do a higher level type adventure to reward them for the fact that they made it to 11th level. And I got them off the off the world and into the planes, which I thought was interesting. And and it lets me sort of get the the campaign um, back on track because they had gone off the rails a little bit with the Icewind Dale stuff. <laughs> so no, that's 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 really cool. I love the idea of uh, pulling in modules to to not only help your overarching story but also just to give uh, a change of pace a change of location it's like i i don't have anything necessarily ready to go uh that's outside my world let's look through this catalog of the dm's guild or this catalog of adventures oh cool there's something in the plane of fire let's let's figure out how to get in there it's a change of scenery it's a it's it's kind of something different, something to mix things up. So yeah, no, I think that's I think that's really cool. The, the now for the prep part, that that's where you know, I, I I think I have. So we're all gaming digitally now because of the pandemic, right? We're all playing on virtual, and 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 I really do believe that prepping for virtual versus prepping for face to face are like two different monsters. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of this is DM facing and not really player facing you as players. You just show up and play and you don't really have to do a lot of, a lot of, you know, anything behind the scenes for it beyond updating your character or whatever. But as a DM, there's a lot of work that goes into this. Like we've got to prep the maps. We've got to upload them. We've got to prep the monsters on the virtual table. We've got to get the tokens. We've got to do this, blah. You know, assuming you play with tokens and miniatures and maps, some people just do theater of the mind and, 
they can skip all that crap, but I can't. My players demand <laughs> map, my players demand maps and minis, no matter how hard I try to get them off the grid. So th there's I, a lot of work involved. Some, some parties, some parties are like that. Like it's, I, 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 I have, I have different groups, and I know that some people I've played with, they just, they just have a hard time picturing the theater of the mind. Like it, they just have a hard time like visualizing it. And so when you throw a grid down or when you throw some minis down, it helps them immensely. Whereas some people love running with theater of the mind because they're just like, can I do this? What is this? Is this over here? Where is this at? And then as a DM, I have all of a sudden this insanely increased inflexibility of, oh yeah, yeah, there's something over there. Or yeah, the, the building. Yeah, you could go up there on the second floor or sure, you know, there's a pit trap right over there. <laughs> it gives you a little more flexibility. You know how many times I've told my players, and, and I agree with you, by the way, some players have a hard time visualizing and they prefer the maps and minis and, and third edition really made, made that kind of the standard for D&D. Mm -hmm. But you know how many times I've told my players, guys, we used to play like that all the time back in high school. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> because when, we're, when we were back in high school, when we played first and second edition, we didn't have any maps or minis. We just did theater of the mind and, and a scrap sheet of paper, and that was it. Um, but times have changed, I guess. Yeah. And then one of my players, and then and then if your players are really tactically oriented, like I have a guy, one of my players who I used to play with back in, in high school, he's, he's currently playing a paladin. Um, and I forget what the name is. I forget what the subclass is, but whatever. But he has like a 10-foot weapon, and he likes to stop monsters from approaching him and stuff like that. He's like, man, with theater of the mind, you can't really do this. You can't play tactically theater of the mind. So I, I need to play with minis. I'm like, all right, well, I'll give you your minis. Yeah, and I mean, personally, as a DM and as a player, I like I can do theater of the mind to a point, but as soon as the, the field gets full of like way too many players or way too many monsters, that's when I'm like, okay, I, I can't keep track of everything anymore. And like personally when I DM uh, we've been doing it digitally the entire game. Cause I play with people out of state as well. Um, I've got like an overhead camera and I actually set up miniatures and everything and, and use that way. And then in our, um, the, the two other games I'm in, we use roll 20 and yeah you know every game i have like five or six characters in it as well as you know five or six enemies it's like at some point i'm like i, I can't do this anymore i need help <laughs> <laughs> well i'm going to tell you something I, I and i said this the other day on twitter and 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 i i got a pretty bunch of good answers you know it wasn't a question but it was a comment i made i said you know it, it's hard to dm when a tactical game because at the end of the day it's you the dm versus five really smart people yeah out, you know throwing other tactics at you and you got to think tactically for the monsters and and there's a lot of that and if you're not a tactic if you're not if you're not a tactician and if you're not good at that stuff you're going to get eaten alive by your players immediately and, and 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 i find that that happens to me a lot like i'm not very tactically oriented i'm more you know i'm more into the story i'm more into and I've never been a miniatures player. I never played hero clicks. Like something like half my group, you know, used to play hero clicks every week at the, at the bookstores. Like, dude, you guys have been doing, you know, tactical miniatures games all your, you know, all your lives, man. <laughs> you guys are, you walk all over my encounters. <laughs> mm -hmm. but, and it's, it's, it's not even only that it's even if you are a tactical DM, 
you you are your one tactical person versus your four, five, or six working together tactical players. Yep. Yeah, and also you know trying to make it as realistic as possible of you know like just going running with beasts or whatever it's like oh well obviously they're going to go for the nearest target or whatever is hurting them the most or something but then when you start putting in okay i've got these two sorcerers they want to make sure they stay at the back line they're gonna you know try to pepper off at this see what's working what's not and then these orcs over here are going to run in but you know they're mainly melee so they're just going to go up to the biggest thing that they see in attack and i mean it, it, you're right it's a lot to juggle and like I'm not the back best tactician. Um, in fact, I'm just now getting to the point where I'm uh, balancing pretty well with my combat encounters. So, yeah, I get it. It's, I a, totally it's do. a lot to juggle. It's a lot to juggle. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I don't think Five E does well is I don't think Five E, and and I don't know if any edition does this really. I don't think any any edition, especially 5e and 4e, I don't, I don't think they take new DMs into consideration when they present stuff like combat. Mm-hmm. And they don't, really, they don't really get into that whole thing of teaching you how to run good combats and challenging combats. They sort of tell you, here, here you go, here's a bunch of monsters in a book, and you could sort of throw these at your players, and here, uh, add up these numbers to make sure that it's a balanced, quote-unquote, encounter. But yeah. they don't really tell you, you know, 4E tried that. 4E did have the, the monster rules. They had, like, lurkers and, and um, strikers, and, and which, which were sort of keywords to, to tell you how to play the monsters a little bit. But they don't really care or they don't really get into the weeds about teaching you tactics for the monsters. And I really think that that's a part of the game that there's a whole lot of space there to write for mm-hmm. um, if, 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 you know, if you're into that kind of thing. And, and there's a book called The Monsters Know What They're Doing. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. Oh, um, I need that. I need that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that book is fantastic for tactics. I, 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 once I started using it, I couldn't put it down. Because it really, it really gets into the nitty gritty of how monsters behave, and how their powers work off of each other, and, and how you can use them uh, to your advantage. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. So, just kind of on the same topic of modules, then, from all the different modules that you've read or used or pulled into your campaign, do you do you see or do you notice like? unofficial ones or third-party ones or versus like official ones because they have all these encounters written down and set or said you know player gets to this point this is the encounter for this thing do you find that there are certain modules you've read where it's just like oh wow this sets it up really well it actually kind of tells me how to play it versus this is what you're playing with Mm. Or do you think that's like a space that's just not really explored that much? I just don't think it's explored that much. I I, I don't think, I think writers and I think people who design D&D and publish D&D have a lot of assumptions about who plays D&D. And I don't think new people are taken into consideration too much, even though everybody likes to say they are it's kind of daunting to sit at a table with five people looking at you and saying, okay, here we are, run our game for us. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, Even if they're yeah. your friends, it's, it's still the yeah, same. It's it, like, you know, and 
And I, I've never felt like the game really tries to help you too much in that regard. Now, to your question about the modules, I, I really think there's, there's, you know, when you're looking at, at word count and space on a module and, and page, you know, that sort of thing, I don't think they're devoting as much pages as they could to that. The other part of it is that you got to remember that 5e claims to be first and foremost theater of the mind and the grid is optional. Mm. Um, I don't know if I believe that. I don't know <laughs> if I agree with that. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> if I would believe that one either because they, yeah, they have a lot of, lot of minis and a lot of things that are, yeah, I, I personally five don't believe foot, that. 10 foot, whatever. I think the game is written with a five foot grid under the hood. Um, yeah. And they, and they try to sort of, you know, hide that, but whatever. That's a, I guess that's a different topic. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but to answer your question, to answer your question, they don't really get into the tactics too much because you're not really supposed to be playing with minis. Yeah, and it, you know, a lot of it, it seems like just from the the modules that I've kind of looked at and skimmed through, it, it's almost as if they give more of a motivation for you know some of the the antagonists than they would like actual tactics on how they would fight. You know, almost as if they're giving you the 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 RP experience so much more in how that character should act as opposed to oh yeah and they're totally going to you know have a a, a great sword that they're always going to swing with but then they have this cast that they'll uh, you know do this spell in these types of situations and and things like that. Yeah. By the way, I totally yeah. just bought the monsters know what they're doing, so that's coming hopefully by Saturday, which is my next <laughs> game session. So. But seriously, seriously, you're not you're not going to regret it. That book is fantastic. Yeah, it is, it is a very good book. Um, I know, like, so for me, when I started DMing, the very first thing I DMed was uh, Lost Minds. And that's the, that was the, you know, quintessential starter uh, D&D yeah. adventure. And I know for me, I didn't really know what I was doing much. So the biggest thing that helped me when I started running uh, a module was I just, I read the whole thing. First off, I just, just kind of read the whole thing, kind of familiarized myself with it. And then as we played, I would read the chunk each session that we were, we were going to play again beforehand. And that was most of the prep that I did. I don't know. I, sometimes it felt like I probably should have done more. <laughs> but that's, but I, I, again, to, to your point, that's, that was just kind of the, I think I'm doing this right. Type method. Hmm. I, you know, I, how did you find Fandelver as a starting experience for a first-time DM? Did you did you enjoy it? Was did you find it easy? I I mean, it was it was mostly pretty easy. Again, I and I think back to your point, the combat was the hardest for me, starting out, um, without without knowing what I was doing. Like all the 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 hooks are there. The, the characters are there, um, but I didn't know necessarily how to like balance on the fly. Uh, I didn't know exactly how to play certain things uh, like tactically and such. And so the first, the first half of combat was way worse in my opinion than the second half of combat uh, and, and once i learned it a little bit that fandelver first encounter is brutal you could easily it's, it's, one oh, shot. like there's i i almost i almost did 
You um, could kill a wizard in one hit. Yeah, I almost killed two people, and I was just like, "Oh crap! Did I, yeah. did I do something wrong? <laughs> like, am I, I am I running this horribly? Like, I almost I always, my brain. I always, I, I feel like the the new kit that came out. I think it's called the Essentials kit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the Dragon of Ice Spire Peak. The Dragon of Ice Spire Peak. I feel like that's a better starter kit than Fandelver. A lot of people disagree with me on that. But I feel like the way it's structured, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but basically you have a job board on, yes. in town and, and you go to different there's different missions that you go on and they're short. To me, that felt like a more newbie-friendly um, kit than the Fandelver. I, I would completely agree. I ran that one one-on-one uh, -on -one actually for, for my wife uh, for a little while. And it ended up being a lot easier for me as a DM because at the end of the session, we got back to the job board and it, I was just like, what do you want to do? And so yeah. she would pick one and then I would know exactly what we were doing next time. And yeah, it worked I, out and it was a more, little more level appropriate too. Cause it's like, Hey, offer these two or three between these levels. And then once you hit this level, you know, throw in these ones and so on. It's just a lot more structured. Like it, it's geared towards ease of play. I think a little more than than Fendelver. You know, one of my when I started DMing Fourth Edition, one of my bigger issues was, and remember, remember where I told you I skipped over Third Edition, right? So I remember opening um, what was it called, The Keep on the Shadowfell, which was the Fourth Edition first module that came out, whatever. And I see those maps and I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, <laughs> it's a small map and a pamphlet, you know, what am I supposed to do with this map? Am I supposed to draw this? Am I supposed to, can I download this? Like, how do you use this at the table? Right. And, and sometimes I still see maps and adventures and I'm like, how in the world is someone supposed to get this to the physical table? Like I understand the digital table perfectly fine, but if I'm playing face to face, how am I supposed to get this? And I, and I remember there's a map in the, in the essentials kit, there's a gnome garden map where these two kings live and there's this whole thing going on. And, I'm, and the map is like pretty elaborate. Yeah, it's, it's looking, tons of rooms. Yeah, and I remember looking at the map and saying, how in the world would you physically get this on a table to play this? Like it's, some of these maps to me are just, well, yeah, it's, it's cool. It, like it's cool for the DM to see, but then yeah. in practicality, it's just like, well, I guess I, I don't know, get a really big whiteboard. Yeah. What do you do? <laughs> kind of draw it a little bit. Or what do get you that, do? My, my dry erase gridded map and then just kind of trace it as best I can type thing. I, I guess that's that's the whole like uh, theater of the mind thing. But, like, but those are some room. of the things. But those are some of the things. Like if we go back to, if we go back to prep and we go back to to, to preparing for your session and stuff like that. If you're a new DM, if you're a new DM who's just opening the book for the first time, nowhere in that book does it tell you to draw maps out, you know, on a whiteboard or buy graph paper yep. and, and you have to, yep. it doesn't give you that information I, or, or, or unless it does and I missed it. I may be wrong, but I don't think there's anywhere that says DMs, here's what you should do with these maps. You should copy them over to graph paper. You should do this, photocopy them, print them out. Like, it's just assumed that you're going to know what, you, what to do with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When the game doesn't talk about miniatures and because the game by default is a theater of the mind game or so it claims. So there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a, you know, double speak there when it comes to 
to the game and what it expects you to do with certain things in the game. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's really just, interesting. I mean, that's, that's my opinion. I mean, I, you know, some people may disagree with me. I just, that's just the way I feel about it. I think, right. I think that that really is, is good because there is a lot of room, I think, for better directing new players. I mean, mm-hmm. fifth edition is probably bigger than every other edition before it combined. I don't, mm-hmm. that's, 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 I'm, I'm guessing. I don't have, <laughs> I don't we'll have just, the math we'll to back that sure. up. Other than, other than yeah, like, doing gang more and more so every year. And, and so that just in that very nature, that means there's a lot of people who are playing 5e that may have never played a tabletop game or maybe even never played games before, just, mm-hmm. just period. And so I, I think that really shows that there's a lot of room still either for official or unofficial content that is how do I be a new DM? How do I be a new player? What do I need to know just like baseline essentials that everything assumes I know. Yeah. And I can see it going both ways because, you know, let's say you just get the, the DMs guide and, you know, wizards of course wants there to be a low barrier of entry to get more people in. However, there's so much more involved and so much more that you can add into it that it is kind of, you know, misleading, like you said. And like at this point, I don't know if they're kind of relying more on, you know, people streaming games or, you know, high profile ones like Dungeon Run or Critical Role or something along those lines, or even, you know, their own games that they have on, you know, Wizards or, or D&D Beyond or something like that. But it, it's almost like, you know, just to have like a, a, a tiny insert that says, hey, the, these are some things that we recommend. Um, you know, you, you have the DM's guide. Great. We recommend a player's handbook. We recommend a monster manual and, you know, maybe one of these starter adventures and, you know, talk about get some sort of, you know, dry race thing. Cause if you have a problem, you know, doing t- combat like me, you're going to need it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, I can see it as being incredibly helpful, especially for all those people who, like I said, are, are starting to fall into it as, you know, their new hobby. And, you know, it might be less overwhelming if they gave more direction for all the extras that they really need. I, I think if you look at the history of, of, and I'll go back to fourth edition, if you look at the history of blogging uh, and the community that came up, uh, through Twitter and through blogs and, and, and back in the fourth edition days, there were a ton of blogs and a ton of uh, Twitter feeds like mine that came out, you know, out of the fourth edition, myself and the guys like Sly Flourish, uh, Chatty DM, you know, a bunch of us came up from the fourth edition era and our entire, our entire brand and our entire gig was DM tips and DM advice. Mm-hmm. And, and this was because there was a, a, a lack of an uh, official materials and, and, and someone had to fill that void. And, you know, we did it for fourth edition and there's a lot of people doing it now for fifth and, and, and some continue, you know, slight flourish continues to do it. I, I do a, a little bit less of that now, but, but I still do it, you know, at some points um, because there's not a whole lot of official stuff out there for, for new DMs to really get into and into the, the nitty gritty of, of how to run games and, and, and that sort of thing. Do you think, do you think there's room for wizards to do like a, 
Dungeon Master's Guide 2.0 to where they now with several years of, of experience and kind of feedback and such, go back and go, okay, here's what players need, especially new players. I think the answer to that is a resounding yes, only because Dungeon Master Guide 2 for 4th edition and 3rd edition have been some of the better Dungeon Master Guides that have been published. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I, I think if they were to publish a DMG 2, you know, taking learnings and, and, and adding a bunch of new stuff to it, I, I can absolutely see it being a success, yeah. Yeah, yeah that'd, be, that'd be really nice. I mean, the 4th edition DMG 2 has some, you know, has some great, great gaming advice that today you could go back and, and read and, and, and really get a lot of out of. So I think I, so. Uh, and I think, I think in a, a lot of this, that's a really good segue to kind of the, the second discussion that they're wanting to have um, just in the vein of, of older editions. Um, you, you said you, you played uh, two and, and four and Ben, Ben played four so, uh, and, and how a lot of that uh, advice, like from uh, fourth edition, other iterations of the Dungeon Master's Guide, you could actually just go and read and go, oh, that's just good advice. It's not even necessarily mechanical or rules-based. It's just good advice. Um, what, are some of, what are some of the advice type things like that, or even uh, concepts or mechanics from older edition that you think would be interesting or that you homebrew or you would like to bring forward to your fifth edition games? The, the DMG two for, for fourth edition specifically has uh, really good stuff on, on, I'm trying to remember now if it's the fourth edition or the third edition. There was one that had really good stuff on learning where you're learning the different players, um, the player types, mm -hmm. and whether a player is a performer or whether a player is more uh, into the story or being a, a, a more active part of the story or whether he's just kind of a lurker in the back, you know, maybe she's not interested in acting, you know, mm -hmm. role-playing much, but she loves the tactics of it. So learning to understand who your players are and making sure that you cater parts of the game to each individual player type you have, uh, is, I think is a great piece of advice that'll, that'll really um, help the table out tremendously, right? And, and, and man, I'm drawing a blank on which book had that. I, I, I want to say, say it's the fourth. Yeah. It, it, it sounds familiar, and I, I, I want to say it's fourth. Or they, they had it in both editions and just didn't you know, stick it in fifth for some reason, which is always a possibility, too. <laughs> That does sound like something that would be really handy. It's just like, here's, here's some common player types and here's ways to identify the, the types of players uh, they are. And here's how you can help cater the game to each mm -hmm. of those. Like that, that's, that seems super handy. That's what it is. It's, it, it, it tells you, you know, you have a group of players and, and one of these players loves um, tactics the other player loves acting. Uh, mm -hmm. The other player is into... Like puzzles was one of them, I think. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, you know, I'm drawing a blank here. I don't remember. But, but, the, but the gist of it is identifying what type of player you have at your table and making sure that 
at, at some point in your game, you appeal to that type of player with something mm-hmm. um, to make sure that they're they're engaged and, 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 and they're having fun because that's, you know, the type of player they are determines what would make the game fun for them. Exactly. That, that, yeah, that's super cool. And just uh, for for a note for our listeners and for those that are DMs, you can actually go to the DMs Guild and find and buy the digital versions of these old players guides. Like I'm I'm looking at the Dungeon Master's Guide 2 for 4th edition, it's like 17.99 PDF on the DMs Guild. If you're if you're interested in pulling some of these older dmgs or something to to look at and pick out you know some of these gems <laughs> from them and that aren't in fifth another super great place used bookstores once new editions yep. come out people get rid of their old ones like yep. clockwork yeah um so we were talking about you know just different concepts mechanics and everything and something that i actually uh, have brought in and, and definitely started incorporating into my my home game is flanking because I, I mean I, I could be wrong but I don't see flanking as a thing in fifth edition but you know I've kind of altered it and changed it uh, as well as a ton of other people have I'm sure um, and brought it in where you know if you're flanking you get advantage on your attack roll as opposed to um gosh in fourth i want to say like you get a a plus to your role or something along those lines i i forget exactly but like that's something that's i think adds more fun to the game it gives people more of a chance to you know um have more success in their attacks and also gives a little bit more strategy to what they're doing like positioning matters and uh, can you know help your other party members out um yeah i i think i mean that's a there might be and there might be an optional rule in the dmg it, it might there be is. that yeah yeah, yeah flanking yeah so yeah, it, yeah, if you want to look that up and you're you're interested in using that that is a that is a variant rule you can use uh in the dmg um and, and like i said i've never played older editions but i'm i'm a huge matt colville fan and he did uh an excellent youtube series uh on like dnd history going through uh each of the editions and such um and some of the things i remember hearing and uh him talking about and some of the things i've read about that i have used in my games or i want to bring into my games are some of the concepts from older editions and i don't know it might have been fourth edition it might have been three three five uh minions uh and Mm -hmm. so Minions are were essentially like one HP monsters. They're super easy to run. They they basically act just like the monster would, except they have one HP, and yeah, you hit them, you kill them basically. Or if there's an AOE attack, they get a deck save, and if they fail, they're dead. If they save, they're still alive. So it's 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 basically an incredibly simple base level version of the monster that you can run like regular, but you don't have to track armor class. You don't have to track hit points. You don't have to track like immunities or whatever, if you don't want to, uh, all you have to know is saving throws and did they get hit or not? (laughs) That's, that's, that's pretty much it. And they can be, uh, as a DM, those types of things can be great if you're doing, um, 
high target combats, or if you're doing uh, higher level combats where you want like more fodder type stuff. Mm -hmm. So like uh, those ogres that used to challenge that, you know, second, third, fourth level party, they at level 13, 14, 15 plus become minions. Like those things are no problem for your players to dispatch, but they can certainly be annoying because they might still hit fairly hard or, you know, there may be a, a lot of them or skeletons could be, or zombies could be another great minion. Like super, super squishy, super easy to dispatch, but there might be a lot of them. And so having it, uh, using a minion instead of the actual stat block can simplify your life as a DM a bunch. And it can also give you those really cool cinematic type feeling moments where the person hits them and you can be like, yeah, you just, just start carving through one, two, three head comes off of one slice down the middle of another as you drop to a knee and across the chest as the, the body splits in two different parts. And so you can do a lot of that cool stuff. And it's just like, okay, does he have, you only hit him for eight. He's got nine health. So he's barely standing still. And it's just like, dude, I'm a level 14 cleric. I just rolled bad. Come yeah, on. Give him that good cinematic <laughs> moment. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's, that's one I haven't used a lot, um, but I will probably use more as uh, I get higher level campaigns. Let me tell you, fourth edition, one thing it did really well, and if we're going to talk about mechanics um, in fifth edition and versus other editions, one of the things that fourth edition did really well was give monsters a lot of tricks mm -hmm. um, to pull off on your players uh, versus fifth edition, which I find... 5e monsters, you know, not, not all of them, but I find, uh, you know, quite a bit of them to be rather bland, um, you know, and, and I'll use I the giants, totally I'll, I'll use giants as an example, right? Like, you know, you're fighting a hill giant, let's say a hill giant, basic hill giant, and I think the hill giant in, in 5e, uh, he's going to hit you with a club and he's going to throw a rock at you and mm -hmm. that's about it. Right. Yep. yep. So I was designing some encounters with giants and I said, you know what? This, this guy's boring. Like this is a boring monster to run as a DM. Like I'm not forget the player's experience for me as a DM is boring. So I created a stomp attack, you know, because why wouldn't a giant try to stomp a halfling? Uh, you know, if he's got totally, a halfling. Totally. Him, you know? so, so I created a stomp attack. I created a thing that happens when the, when the giant dies and it falls over dead, you know, that when he hits the ground, yeah, that's going to do something. And you need to get away from that. You don't want to have it fall yeah. on you. Yeah. So, so, so I'm not saying that's what 4E Giants did, but 4E had, you know, monsters had a bit more stuff in their arsenal to, to mess around with players. They had a lot more powers that recharged, uh, you know, or, or one time and you're done because, you know, chances of you recharging it were low. Um, they were a lot more fun to run and they were easier to run because the way the stat block was laid out in 4E, it was very newbie friendly. Again, 4E was such an easy game to run as a DM uh, versus 5E or any other edition, really. Um, that, that, that's, that's one of the real positive aspects of 4E. But what I'm getting at is that you could take a look at old monsters, right, in, in, in the 4E monster manual and, and see what, what powers monsters had that you could take into your 5E game and convert it to a 5E attack and give your monsters a bit more 
you know, oomph in, in, in their in their attacks because as written in 5e, plenty of the monsters in 5e are just a little bit too bland and, and, and may need a little bit of, you know, beefing up. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why Ryan and I both generally have our dragons as, you know, be spellcasters as well as just, you know, vicious, toothy, clawy things. Mm-hmm. The, the like other thing attack, tail attack, bite, claw, breath every once in a while. But the other, the other cool part of that is that you could take, you know, you could take a monster and give it a neat trick. And that's going to cause your players to say, wait a minute, I didn't know kobolds could do that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, this kobold does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the, yeah, I know that you, you've looked up kobold in the monster right. manual. And I know you've read the whole <laughs> thing cover to cover mm-hmm. and you know exactly what it does. But guess what? This is not a monster manual kobold. Yeah. This, is a, this is a Ryan special. Or <laughs> Wait a minute. Giants don't stomp. Oh, yes, they do. And they're stomping you. What's your, what's your AC? <laughs> yeah, what you really don't want is the giants shuffling their feet and then touching you because that static mm-hmm. charge is horrible. Blows you right away. One other thing I remember reading about uh, was the bloodied condition. Mm. And this is, it sounded super cool. It's basically like a, a monster would become bloody or a player would become bloodied when they hit half health. And that was an indicator of, you know, where, where am I at? What's the, what's kind of the gauge right now uh, in this fight? It's like, oh, you bloodied him. Oh, okay. That means that he's halfway, halfway dead or whatever. Um, but one of the cool things, and I, and I don't know if this is true of bloodied stuff, but uh, it sounds like it would be cool because it's, it's that I, I come from a, a big video game side and I love doing boss fights in some ways like, like video games where you have phases or where you have triggers for things or, or such. So all of a sudden, as soon as your, your monster hits the bloodied condition, they, gain, they now gain access to another move or another mm-hmm. set of skills or something happens uh, like, you know, bestial war cry goes out and everything within every enemy unit within 30 feet now has advantage for the next round on their uh, attacks or something like that. Um, so that type of thing can be super, super cool for uh, just mixing up fights or kind of showing that, Oh, you're, you did well now you're in phase two <laughs> type thing <laughs> so bloodied is one of those things where i've always said i it, it, it makes no sense that they got rid of it in D. yeah once you added it to the game and it was a great addition to the game why in the world would you get rid of it it, it doesn't interfere mechanically with anything 5e is doing you know, it kind of sits on top of the mechanics. It's, it's just something that's there that there's no reason to get rid of it. And, and it worked really well because, as you said, it, it served as a gauge for you as a DM to know where the fight was going or, you know, or for players to know sort of where they were in the fight in regards to them and the monsters. But it also helped monsters. It, it also gave you a nice ace in your sleeve as another trick for the monsters because a lot of monsters had had little tricks that would trigger off being bloodied. Mm. Okay, so that actually was a thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was, oh, absolutely, yeah. So so this guy's bloodied, and guess what? Now because he's bloody, he gets to do this, boom. And he had another little attack or another fun mm-hmm. thing he could do just by virtue of being bloody. And those are things that you could definitely bring back to 5e 
and and add to the game, and it will not break the game in any way. And it'll, it'll, in fact, it'll make it better. Yeah, and make it make it more dynamic. Yeah, and the yeah. neat thing was too, it wasn't just bosses. I mean, they had just you know low level monsters. Just oh, he's bloodied. Oh, well, now he gets in a rage, so you know he gets a plus two to whatever he's attacking. You know, in fifth edition terms, given an advantage or something. Or, you know, uh, like Enrique was saying, just throw it an entirely different attack in there. You know, he's, he's, he's bloodied and uh, maybe he's, I don't know, a vampire and it just gives him craziness because he's losing all his blood. I don't know. Well, I mean, that's, that's why, like, I personally will homebrew a lot of my, my 5e stuff that, to do have extra things like that. Because, uh, like, like Enrique was saying, there's, there's a lot of, it, it, it doesn't, not for all of them, but there are a lot of, especially lower level, very bland monsters. And so uh, I, I noticed that in 5e, they recently introduced kind of a concept like that, where you have the, like the mythic monsters and the mythic monsters have this mythic phase that they hit once, once a certain thing happens which that's, that's cool, right? That's, you get some extra stuff. That's cool. You have uh, some monsters with legendary actions, which uh, do add some extra flavor, uh, add to the action economy. That's, that's great too. That, but most like lower level stuff doesn't have that it, it, at all. Like where's, where's my, and it sounds weird, like, thrown this like at a CR one or two thing, but where's my mythic mythic mode for my, my bugbear or where's, where's my legendary actions for my bugbear or whatever that can mix things up and, and do other stuff. There's not enough of that uh, variety. There, there isn't. Definitely not. Uh, any, any other, any other ones, Ben or Enrique that you can, you can think of that, you're like, man, 5e really should should have this or could use this. No, I think of the ones that I've I've pointed them out in the past. Uh, you know, it's bloodied, it's the minions. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think minions minions let you create really cinematic moments mm-hmm. fairly easily. Um, you know, there's a there's a big difference between walking into a tomb and facing five skeletons versus walking into a tomb and facing an onslaught of skeletons coming just crawling out of coffins mm. everywhere and you can just treat all those guys as minions and be done with it fairly quickly but it's a fairly cinematic plus you know every now and then it's good to let your players enjoy just hitting things and getting them out of the way quickly yeah the, pow- the power that they've acquired yeah absolutely there, there's really nothing wrong with with letting players shine and create those awesome moments where they don't have to do a fight for six rounds they could just knock enemies <laughs> out and out of the way you know in, in one round and be done with it so yeah, minions, bloodied. There's really not a whole lot I would take from second edition or first edition, to be honest with you. Um, it's just the game is so much different now than back yeah. then. I, I don't, I don't know if there's anything. You know what I really like? I, the, the second edition had this thing called kits, um, where basically you had a class, uh, let's say fighter, right? And then they came out with the book of fighters, and the book of fighters had a bunch of kits. And so you had like a swashbuckler, you had like a uh, cavalier, you had like a, and they gave you like different little mechanical, you know, bonuses to things or different like uh, non-weapon proficiencies, which were kind of like a, a skill system that Tui had. 
And the kits kind of sort of evolved into what backgrounds are today. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, not not subclasses. Mm, not really. Okay. I, I wouldn't say they were as defined as a subclass. They were more. I mean, there's no apples to apples, right? It's not. Yeah. It's yeah. not really apples to apples, but I think I would put it more in line with kind of like backgrounds over subclasses. Okay, so adding some like, features and in, in proficiencies and things. Yeah, I just added like it just it just kind of like made your character a little more unique than like the, the fighter season, next the than the fighter next to you. Yeah, 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 like like you have two fighters in a party, but I'm more of a swashbuckler, and this guy's more of a you know a barbarian. Um, you know, it was kind of like a way to to give a little bit more more spice to the classes. Oh, that's very cool. Um, I don't know if anyone is clamoring to bring back Thaco or to bring back. I've uh, heard uh, I've heard horror stories about Thaco. <laughs> isn't, yeah, that, isn't that like ridiculous math? For me, it was, but I get laughed at because I suck at math. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, for me, it was unbearable. Yeah, that's I've, one of the great. That's one of the great things that Three E did was get rid of that stupid Thaco. Yeah, I'm again. Everything I've heard about it, I am just so glad that it's not in there because I probably wouldn't be playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's just so overly yeah. complicated. You know what happened was that that when Second Edition came out, they had a mandate that everything had to be compatible with First Edition. Oh. So so it's like, well, we want to do this and this and this, and That's it's like, hard. Well, no, yeah, no, you can't because it's got to be compatible with First Edition. So it's like, okay, so we're not really designing anything new. No, not really. So it was kind of more of a, you know, rearranging things in the book and making things more easily accessible, but it was still underlying, you know, pretty much the same. same That's gotta, that would have to be so hard as a designer. It's just like, I need you to design a new game, but it's not a new game. Yeah, you could read about it. Like there's articles out there, like Steve Winter, I think, wrote about it. And there's a few articles, if you look, if you look for it, you could find it, where, where they basically had a mandate that said, uh, it's got to be compatible. We don't want to anger people and, and drive people away. It still has to be the recognizable game they know. That's so. super. That's super interesting. Maybe maybe some episode we'll do we'll do like a little history of D and D rundown. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would require a lot of research on both of our parts. <laughs> yeah, like I have time for that. But yeah, I know, right? <laughs> all in all, the free time we have. Exactly. Uh, well, awesome. Uh, well, that was a fantastic discussion. Uh, Enrique, thank you so much uh, for, for popping on and, and discussing all that stuff with us. Hopefully, uh, listeners, it was, it was really helpful. And if you're going, man, I like that guy. Where can I find more of his stuff? Enrique, <laughs> why don't you let everybody know, like, all this, wherever all your stuff is located, like, where can people find you? All right, so I am usually on Twitter at NobiDM, and I'm a prolific uh, user of Twitter, and, and I'm the kind of guy who, you know, you, you write me on Twitter, and I'll reply with seven or eight different tweets answering, <laughs> answering your question. I'm, I'm pretty much out there all day. Um, and then I have a website at NobiDM.com. Um, at this point, I'm not posting a whole lot of stuff to the website, but there's a whole 10 years or 12 years worth of of content on there that you can dig through and, and find something that'll help you uh, in your games. Uh, it's, it's filled with like DM advice and, and tips and tricks and 
opinions and whatnot. So there's something there for everybody. And those are really it. That's really where where I'm where I'm at. I, I I'm dying to get back into blog uh, into podcasting. I, I used to have uh, I've done two different podcasts over the years, and and it's something I it's a format I love, and and hopefully maybe soon I'll get back into it. For now, I'm content just getting invited into shows and not having to worry about editing. And <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> so thank you for so thank you for inviting me. Uh, oh, I've had a, I've had a great time. Um, I did want to shout out one thing too that I actually just got. You actually put together a kit-friendly RPG system. I did. Um, that was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away when my daughter was four <laughs> years old. Um, I, I came. So yes. So when I started playing Fourth Edition, my my daughter was fascinated with the miniatures and and the whole thing. So I said, hmm, there's not a big market for games for kids like role-playing games for kids and introducing kids to to this hobby um maybe i should do it and so i came up with a game called rpg kids um it was basically a very simple die rolling game and and you know very rudimentary rule set for someone my daughter's age to grasp i mean she was four or five years old um but surprisingly enough people sort of you know found it and said whoa this 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 is cool. The, my kid likes this, and people started using it and playing with their kids, and it was really rewarding. Um, I supported it with a little adventure pack that had a few adventures to play with their kids, and and I didn't do much more with it beyond that. But you know, it's still up for sale, and and people still find it, and people still you know get a kick out of it, and, and it was something fun that I did, you know, ten years ago or eleven years ago, or whatever. That that I'm glad I did it because it helped a lot of people and have you know introduce our kids to to the wonderful hobby that this is oh. awesome. very cool we will we will try to have a link to that as well in the show notes for those rpgkids.com there you go RPG i remember one of the coolest things was at gen con one year um, a family actually asked me to to run a session of rpg kids with their kids and and That's i so did cool. it and it, it was so much fun like the kids had a great time and it was fun it was it's a great great memories of, of with RPG kids. And hopefully uh, we'll all be able to make great memories at in-person conventions, maybe next year. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. hopefully. Hopefully again. Cause I, I was actually gonna, uh, last year was going to be my first year at like Dragon Con. Um, or the first year I was gonna go to like D&D Live or, or whatever. Um, and of course that didn't happen. So yeah. hopefully, hopefully soon. Hopefully soon uh, we'll see conventions again uh, next year and be able to do a lot of this stuff in person as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, as a note for D&D Beyond people as well, your subscriber perks just got even better, which is super cool because I know me and Ben use D&D Beyond all the time. And so they're starting to give out even more little subscriber perks, uh, extra digital dice, backgrounds, little character portraits and stuff just for being subscribed. So um, if you have a subscription, check for those because uh, that's it's nice. Just a little something extra every month. Hey. Always fun. Um, and then of course, as always, uh, before we head out, uh, we usually go over just a little bit of what we're doing in our games. Um, Enrique, do you have any like recent sessions or anything that, uh, 
would make cool stories or that you were you were really proud of or that, that were really kind of kind of cool that you'd want to share so last session my players were aboard an astral skiff on the astral plane and they were running from a githyanki riding a red dragon who was coming for them okay. on the astral skiff and they were being chased by this dragon and uh hijinks ensued and they were able to escape the uh, the attack um, and they reached what i can best describe as a <coughs> excuse me as a giant floating head in the astral plane uh, that was once attached to a giant body and it was some sort of construct. And the head was the location where, you know, they had to do this mission in the astral plane. <laughs> but the, the encounter with the Githyanki and the dragon was pretty cool, gotta say. That's awesome. It sounds very cinematic. I actually have to create rules for the skiff because there are no rules in 5e for an astral skiff <laughs> so what i did was to to make the encounter challenging i made it so that a player had to use an action to control the skiff so the skiff requires three people to crew it somebody at the helm and then two people at the sails and then a player has to waste an action maneuvering the sails if you don't use the sails um the skiff stops moving so you don't want a skiff sitting duck there while there's a red dragon flying around. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. I mean, you know, yeah. un unless it's your buddy, but probably yeah. not. So that was a lot, that of, was lot of teamwork. That, so. Yeah, that was a fun, that was a fun encounter. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, ben, what about you? What do you got uh, going on? Well, we didn't get a chance to uh, do my homebrew game. Unfortunately, I was a, uh, uh, a little out of it for my second vaccine shot, so I, I wasn't able to focus in DM. But um, I hear that one can do it to you. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, the the next night though, um, I was at least uh, with it enough to play my kind of simple-minded Goliath Ranger, and uh, we're actually running a, uh, a one of the Candlekeep uh, mysteries. We're doing the level five adventure, The Price of Beauty, and so we we've, we've just kind of gotten there. And, uh, like, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I was essentially, you know, a big part in uh, figuring out that something is amiss because I wanted to pet a dog. <laughs> and because of that, there was a, an illusion around this dog where it is definitely not what it appears. And because of that, I just started hugging everybody to see who had illusions around them. So it's, uh, it's, it's been a little bit of an interesting experience and uh, lots of fun. That, that candle keep book is fun. <clears throat> Actually going back to the topic about using modules and whatnot, I took an adventure from there and I also retrofitted it to make it work with my, my current campaign. So the level 10 adventure, I ran that for, for my players. Very I've heard cool. really, really good things about that book as far as it being great for like drag and drop. Mm -hmm. type well, of adventures. It, it provides something that 5e was seriously lacking, um, at least as far as officially published content, which is short little adventures that you could run, you know, in two or one or two or three sessions and be done with it. All the adventures they release are these big hardbacks that take months to run and, you know, very little in the way of like short adventures, unless you go to the Adventures League or the DMs Guild and find third party content. So I, I, I like that. I like the book. I, I think it's a 
Yeah, it seems like it's been pretty well received. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Plus, I love Candlekeep as a as a, as a location. Oh, I've it's always... such a cool a cool yeah. location. It's such yeah, a so it's such a cool thing, and it's uh, a lot of them are written uh, from the the few I've read in such a way that they are fairly easy to reskin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just I mean, just starting it, you essentially you need a book. Yeah, books, books can be anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, what about you, Ryan? What have you been up yeah. to? I know you've got a lot of uh, irons in the fire right now. I, I do. I've got I've got my my two campaigns going right now. Um, we did we just did a downtime session for for my second one. Um, players were able to uh, get a few things done, uh, little downtime activities, uh, items they wanted to get, uh, meeting up with. Uh, other characters in this in this giant city that I have um, <laughs> my my uh, my cleric got mugged and his uh, ring of mind shielding that has a a soul in it that he's been trying to help got stolen so <laughs> he was not super happy about oh, that that's not good so now he's he's hatching a plan he's he's gone into like full tactician mode hatching a plan to try and and get this back from the the person who stole it which ended up who is actually his like nemesis since childhood um sal wilkerson uh what a what a devious dude old sal wilkerson freaking sal um so that one's that one's super fun so we're gonna we're gonna pick up on on that and uh one other area where two of my other players are at right now next session uh but my big one is coming up not this Saturday, but next Saturday. And that's my first in-person session back with my fully vaccinated group in over a year. I'm putting, I'm pulling out all the stops because it's also the big climax battle of my second arc of the campaign as well, where they will be, uh, (laughs) dealing with a, uh, an avatar of a God which will be super interesting uh, and trying to stop that before it basically encompasses this, the, the entirety of the city and opens up really, really bad, (laughs) really, really bad things. So this is, and it's funny because since both my campaigns are taking place in the same world at roughly the same time, it's, it's fun because whatever happens in this battle will have ramifications on my second <laughs> campaign group in some, some way, shape or form, which will be, which is, which is kind of cool. Um, when you have the opportunity to run multiple campaigns in the same world in the same, same timeline. Look, Let me know, ask you something. Um, you guys, one of you has a millennium fucking background on your zoom. The other one was talking before we started recording about going to Galaxy's Edge with Disney. Have you guys played any Star Wars RPGs? Yes. Yes. Um, I, yeah, yeah, Ben has. I've done, I think it was an old Wizards uh, version. It was uh, essentially like a, a 3.5 reskin for Star Wars. I think that's what it was. Um, but then we started incorporating a bunch of different modules from uh, one of the legacy editions and it got a little wonky with uh, character sheets because everybody had a different type of character sheet, but uh, mm. we got it to work and, you know, we had some fun with it. Cool. I love Star Wars RPGs. 
Yeah. My favorite my favorite Star Wars RPG is the 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 old first one, the West End Games D6 mm-hmm. Star Wars RPG. If you can get your hands on that, you'll be playing Star Wars games for years, man. It's Very that's cool. it's one that I've always wanted to do. Um, but I don't know what the current Star Wars system is. The, the, uh, the fantasy, fi- the fantasy flight. flight one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I've got because I ha- I know people who play, but I just haven't gotten the chance to to get in. Although I will say, and I wanted I want to shout this out because this is super dang mm-hmm. cool. Um, I, I was just made aware of this. It might have been off a thread uh, on your Twitter. Uh, Star Wars Five E. Um, yes. So this is, it's SW5E.com. This is, this is legit. It's not official. It's not an official Star Wars thing, but it is a group of people who have legitimately done a full on conversion of 5E for Star Wars, like multiple books, player's guide, DM's guide, starships, loot, characters, um, digital character sheets, like the works. It, I, I, have I haven't. Too. Oh, it, yeah, I have. I, I was. I literally just found out about this like two days ago, and I, I messaged Ben, and I was just like, "Dude, have you seen this thing?" Yeah. Uh, but it's because it's it's five E, and we. I know we're all swimming in free time these days, uh, <laughs> but anything anything that is easy to jump into from something I already know. Uh, is always very interesting to me and I love star Wars. And so I was just like, man, I really want to try this sometime. Like, it looks like a ton of work and effort has been put into this. Uh, but even says at the very top, if you know, five E this should be pretty easy to, to get into. So uh, for all the star Wars fans who, who have never played a star Wars game before. And if you can get your hands on some of those, the older systems, like Enrique was talking about at the fantasy mm-hmm. flight one, definitely do that. But if you're lack for time and you know, 5e SW5e.com, like it seems like a super awesome conversion and a great way to jump into star Wars. Yeah, I love Star Wars gaming. If you guys ever want to do a show about Star Wars uh, D&D or Star Wars RPGs, give me a call. <laughs> oh, definitely. It's, my, it's probably next to D&D is my favorite, you know, my favorite game to play. Oh, love very it. Cool. Star yeah, Wars is super fun. It, it's such a rich, like, universe just to play mm-hmm. around with. Like, you can stay entirely away from, you know, the mainstream media content and all that stuff that's been out there and have fantastic adventures because it's just so rich well it's it's one of those things and and again i I hate to derail i'm sorry i'm doing this but it's Ah, one of those things where where if 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 you've never played an rpg before right and you sit at the table and you say okay we're going to play a game where you get to play make-believe and your dice sort of dictate whether you succeed or not at something you're trying to do and you get to play in the world of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. That's an easily recognizable setting for anybody to be able to jump into and quickly get to play. Everybody knows what the hell the Star Wars world looks like and sounds like and, 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 and should be and what it feels like, right? Whereas if I tell someone, you know, if I tell my wife who's not a gamer, hey, listen, honey, we're going to play in the Forgotten Realms. She's going to tell me what the hell is that? You know, like, she has no idea. <laughs> yeah. She has no idea what that is. She wouldn't know. She can't visualize it. <laughs> But exactly. if I tell a game, if I tell someone who's not a gamer, listen, we're going to start off in Tatooine and you get to play a guy who's like uh, Luke Skywalker. You know, you're wearing your white robe like Luke and you, you know, you're a young kid. You could immediately put yourself in that world 
and it's a lot easier. It's a, it's a less barrier of entry to gaming than something that's, you know, not familiar. So I think Star Wars is a great, it's a great hook for RPGs because it's a great entry on ramp to gaming because it's so familiar to everybody. Exactly. I mean, it, it, that's one of the, one of those things. Like Lord of the Rings is kind of a D and D thing, but it's such a different world that you don't have those same locations. Whereas with Star Wars gaming, like you said, it's oh, uh, I want to be Han Solo. Okay, cool. Let's make you a smuggler. Here's your ship. That's it. Simple as that. Yeah. And all you got to worry about is what the dice do, and not necessarily what the world around you is. Which exactly. Is big, which is a big, you know, barrier too for these type of games. Yeah. See now, now Ben, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do a Star Wars game. Okay, that's great. <laughs> okay, we're gonna have to no do problem. a Star Wars game. <laughs> Look, the last Star Wars game I was in, I was an astromech droid, and I, I had a ton of fun with it. I love so it. I'm all for that. I love it. We'll have to do we'll have to do a Star Wars one shot sometime, so that I can I can say that I played played the Star Wars system. Because that'd, that'd be fun. I'll, I'll have to figure out some sort of uh, one shot for it. Yeah, that would be that'd be super cool. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that was fun. Again, Enrique, thank you so much for coming. It was a pleasure talking to you. Um, a wealth of knowledge. And as we said, check out his content, check out his Twitter, especially if you have questions. Um, I'm sure he'd be happy, happy <laughs> to answer any of your D&D or Star Wars related, related questions. And again, thank you for, for, for having me on. I had a great time. I, I didn't even realize we've been here an hour and a half already. I, know. <laughs> I, I, know. I, feel, I feel sorry for Ben, who's going to have to edit this. And, and <laughs> oh, see, publish. that's the fun thing is, is, you know, it's pretty much live to the hard drive. So I just, uh, I'm like, eh, nothing I need to worry about. Boom, edited, done. We're good. <laughs> and it was such an enriching conversation that I don't need to do anything. So I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Enrique, thank you so much for joining us. It has been an absolute treat having you on. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Very much so. All right, Ben, uh, send us out. Why don't you let everybody know where we can be reached? All right. Well, just really quick, Enrique, why don't you pimp your uh, Twitter just one more time just to make sure people get it in case they missed it earlier. Yeah, so that's at newbiedm.com, newbiedm.com. I'm sorry, at newbiedm on Twitter. And my website is newbiedm.com. Perfect. Um, now, if you're looking for us, uh, you can find Ryan on Twitter. He is at TBKZord. If you're looking for me, I'm at Ben Bumhofer. And of course, the show is at DN Discussions. It's pretty easy to find because, you know, it's the show's name. Uh, now, if you have any questions or comments or want to tell us any of your stories, we'd love to hear about it, especially on Twitter if it's a short form. If you have something that you want to tell us, uh, you know, a nice, big, long, juicy story about what happened in your last session, or you have any questions or topic ideas, go ahead and send those to dndiscussions at gmail.com. Uh, of course, every single episode is on dndiscussions.com as well as on your podcast player of choice. So if you're listening to us right now, guess what? Every other episode is there as well. And of course, uh, if you're sitting around thinking, man, Ryan and Ben, they have no idea what they're talking about. I bet they don't even play and they make all this up. Well, guess what? You can listen to us on Plus 5 to Hits, where, uh, as we said before, we are playing through Rhyme with Frostmaiden. We do make all this up. Yeah, we do pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will see you next week. Yep. And until next time, everybody be good to each other.